listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next 30 minutes or so we're going to talk about all things food and drink. A great combination in the studio uh, today. Do I mean Holly and Ollie? No, I don't. (laughs) I mean (laughs) gin and charcuterie. You, you can't. I mean, to be honest, how, no, what a how can we compete with that, Holly? You can't. Uh, no, I think we can. Do we're, you? We're legendary now, Ollie. Really? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Well, we're not. So well, obviously, we? I'm joined by Ollie I'm quite sorry about this. Good. Lloyd. <laughs> Try and get a word in there, Joyce. Founder of Great British Chefs and Holly Shackleton, editor of Speciality Food Magazine. We've only just about got over last week's pies. Well, you, that was you, a slightly mad program. You were love struck, <laughs> is the only way I said. I mean, I you literally were in a sort of, some kind of. You've recovered. I have recovered. I wasn't in love with Callum, although he's a perfectly nice guy. I was just in love with his pies. He was swooning. I was. I admit it. It was like you met your sort of, you know, your favourite celebrity or something. I mean, it wasn't about him, I understand it. But it was just, yeah, you know, it's what he does. He's, he's uh, very, very talented and um, you've got to go and eat there. Just, just, just have to. I'm just really pleased we didn't do pies and gin in the same oh, week. So I think that would have been I, horrendous, I, I, it might have gone on for two days. It would have gone on so. forever, yeah, um, and, and unapologetically so. Well, um, another thing, though, that I do like, that I'm, I'm quite proud of, is British charcuterie, which is great because I've got Sean Cannon here of Cannon and Cannon. Hi, Sean. Hello. Hello. Um, and I, you're, well, for me, you're quite famous. So I, it's another little bit of slightly swoony thing going on. Uh, because when I used to go to Borough Market quite a long time ago, I, I got very excited when then there was a British charcuterie store and it was yours. Yeah, it was an amazing time. It was about yeah. 2000, it was November 2011 was the 1st of November, 2000, the first yeah, day of yeah. trading on the Borough Market, just as the shard was going up in yep. front of me there. And uh, I loved it those first few years, yeah, being out good. there sort of three or four days a week. I'm not out there as much on the market store these days, but I love it when I do get out there to meet my customers and yeah. talk about my sausages. Well, we will talk about your sausages later, Um We've also got Tallulah White of Seckford Drinks. And um, the brand's quite familiar because your, your branding, packaging's... Um, I don't know, it's just very eye-catching, isn't it? It's very familiar to me. Oh, well, thank right. you very much. It was done by a really good friend of mine who's a, a talented designer. So I'll pass Whose that name is? Uh, Robert. Well done, Robert. Um, so um, so we think that what we might do is we might have a bit of charcuterie, followed by you're going to do a bit of mixing for us in terms of Seckford. I absolutely will. I would love to. Yes. And um, if if you're not aware, sex, Seckford are um, uh, mixers, actually, aren't you? In sort of mixer territory. Yes, so they're mixers and um, they're actually world first uh, in terms of the fact that they're mixers created for specific spirits. Yes. So one for whiskey. And, um, and we've got a little tray over here and um, Sharon's standing up, um, who's sort of producer of the programme. Are you going to you're gonna mix us stuff later? Have you been briefed? I have been briefed. You've been briefed. Board, okay, good. Yeah. So, oh, God, dear. This is... <laughs> You haven't this had an event go, this evening. It's going to go wrong. No, I haven't, thankfully. I normally well, have. You're not driving. Yeah. So let's start off with um, Sean of um, Cannon and Cannon. Now, um, why an interest in charcuterie? A bit odd? Yeah. I mean, it, I guess it is a bit odd. I remember uh, when we were uh, kids, my mother, uh, she lived in Spain for, for many years with my father. When, when she was pregnant with me, having already had my older brother, 
Joe in, in Spain. They moved back to the UK. And because of the time they'd spent over there, we went back um, annually to visit Spain. And of course, there's lots of charcuteria around in Spain. So there was always this thing when we were young that the other kids would want, you know, like churros and sweet things. And I would just be chewing on a chorizo. Well, I would prefer that myself as well. So explain to me what charcuterie is. Um, um, uh, it's not just pork, is it? Because you can get brassola, for example, it's beef. Mm. Um, but it it's, tends to be cured and dried? Yeah, it does. Is that, I mean, there's a bit of is? debate. Uh, the, the actual word comes from um, French words for cook and for pork. Um, so it's kind of about preparing. I guess it's like pr- taking meat on a process, taking it from its raw form into uh, a ready-to-eat form, usually not by the simple method of applying heat. Um, so you might smoke it, you might salt it. There's, there's usually salt involved. And it's a way of, uh, of preserving. So, so, so presumably if you, if you did kill the family pig at some point, it meant that months later you could still be um, eating that meat or, or whatever. That's, that is exactly it. It mm. forms part of the, the, the year of a, of a smallholder. You know, in, in the UK, we are traditionally a nation of, of smallholders and, and farmers. So, you know, being able to preserve fresh produce, whether that was fruit and vegetables or whether it's the meat from, from an animal that you've, that you've raised, it's really important, that, you know, to be able to preserve it because when it's fresh, it only lasts for a, a little bit of time. And when something has taken that long to grow, be it a vegetable fruit or an animal you know you want to make the most of it and if you can make that last all year and it's still delicious then that's a win for everyone because ollie we were saying the other week weren't we that, that, that we've sort of lost this fact that oh great it's october now this come out so this mm. is my favorite vegetable this might you know whatever um but 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 hundreds of years ago people would have been acutely aware of the seasons wouldn't they and and how to preserve things to keep them going through pretty dreadful November, December, January, February. Yeah, and it, it, you know, if you look at it, I mean, not specifically on on curing, but if you look at pickling as a, as a sort of mm. an art form, I know there's been a lot of chat about it being on trend, but it's actually not. I mean, literally, no more people are pickling at the moment than were two years ago. Mm. Um, and essentially, I think that you know, one of those, you know, this stuff is these are art, these are art forms that you need to learn and you need to appreciate, but actually, they are great ways of preserving, you know, ultimately the crops that that we are growing. And sugar and salts, brine, you know, vinegar, the, you know, acid, those would have been the things, wouldn't they, Sean, that people yeah, were, were trying to experiment with to see that I can keep things for longer. Yeah, and, and you know, by, by necessity then, because it's obviously pre, pre-refrigeration when a lot of these techniques were developed, now we do have refrigeration, but what we discovered um, over the years in making those products is that they take the product kind of to a whole new place. So charcuterie is really about taking a fresh piece of meat and all of the wonderful flavour that is that is in that meat, everything that's gone into it, um, and then concentrating those flavours down by removing excess moisture so that you get something that's kind of just more intense. It's like a, a, a sort of, um, you know... A, it's on a, speed, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's yeah. pork on yeah, speed. Yeah. Well, when did we... So if you look <laughs> back, you said you started back in 2011. So, I mean, you, I mean, that was, you know, you said it was quite crazy to do that then. There were not... I mean, there aren't many big brands of charcuteries in, of, in the UK, are there? 
Absolutely not. No, I mean it's it's still. But were there? Was was this something that I mean? You said it was done more in kind of in Cumbria. Um, there's uh, forgotten his name, Richard uh, Woodall. Woodall, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the only one I was ever aware of, mm. like a decade or so ago. And that's a, a big family business. Yeah, but and they've done this through through generations. Air dried ham, yeah, yeah. But 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 it's very very unusual in the UK. I would it, say. Yeah, it's it's, it's very unusual. Um, I, when I started, there were about eighteen or nineteen producers around the UK who were making charcuterie on a commercial basis there are now more than 150 doing it so it is like you know craft beer and craft distilling and craft mixer making um is is increasing and becoming more popular um but we still have less than 0.1 percent of the total sales in the uk are british in charcuterie but sean there used to be this this myth going around that somehow you can't make charcuterie in Britain because the weather's not right. Yeah. That's just so rubbish, isn't it? It's it's unfortunately <laughs> it is it is a bit of, of rubbish. And I, I think you know, I think the, there was a time when there were certain caves in certain parts of Italy and certain parts of France which provided naturally the perfect conditions to make charcuterie and the, and the charcutier who was producing it would have to wait until the first rain of the spring before the moisture in the air was right now this is this is wonderful stuff you know this is really beautiful and there are still some places that that make it in that way but times have moved on consumers needs are different and nowadays 99.9% of charcuterie is made in controlled conditions so what becomes absolutely vital now is the product that goes in the door at the beginning of that curing process. The curing process can be controlled, but the provenance of that meat, the quality of the fat is everything in the finished product. Well, it has to be because it's raw and you can't disguise it, really. Absolutely. Now, you've bought some lovely British charcuterie. So what you do is you source the best charcuterie you can find in the UK and then you're you're a place to, to, to... for us to access it. In, yeah, in, in I, I have the terribly tricky job of, of going around time. the UK and yes. meeting these fantastic awesome. characters who are making these extraordinary products and and deciding which ones um, we, we think will be right for, for our mm. customers. And, um, you know, we're spoilt for choice. So what have you got for us in front of us? What should we start with? What's the least spice? So hang on, so start with... Basically, while we've been talking... <laughs> It's yeah. impossible. This you don't have to Okay, you didn't have to say that, Ollie, because no, it's but, on the radio. I know, but... But, but I couldn't but, resist it. I'm sorry, I, know, I just but, had but to have a couple no, of pieces. No, I've had a couple of pieces too. Mm. It's like you can't put a plate of charcuterie of this quality in the middle of a table no. and expect people not to eat it. Okay. The smell what, is what quite, should quite What nice. should have we started with? <laughs> well, actually, I haven't brought anything in that's highly spiced. Spice. Um, but what I've brought in is, is three salamis and two muscle meats. And that is essentially how we break down charcuterie. When you're breaking down a a pig, um, what you do is you, first of all, take out the prime muscles. So they are the the cuts of meat that are so well formed within the pig that you really don't want to mess with them at all. So things like the collar here, which uh, the Italians refer to as copper. So this collar here would look like I would would consider... Um, a normal parma ham, you know, it's it's got fat running through it, so you've got that white, you know, and and it's very thin, um, yeah. and that's what a lot of us would be used to in terms yeah, of so in in terms of how it's described. There's the, the with with a parma ham, you'd usually get the the fat more sort of on the out on yeah. the outside potentially, but with with copper, you get fat running all the way through the meat. There's really intense so marbling going on because it's the neck, it's and that's that, the hardest working so muscle. It's on, gorgeous. On a, it's my favourite. So this is produced in, in Cornwall, um, using British lots. You tried some, Tonola. 
um, God, by awesome. a, a, a brilliant um, charcuterie uh, that's called Cornish Charcuterie. Uh, Richard and Fiona Harding are a couple who farm uh, British lops just near Bude. And it's got that lovely sweetness, which is what I think charcuterie, this type of char- the muscle charcuterie should have. It's my favourite cut of, of charcuterie. Tallulah, um, your it, thoughts? Amazing. <laughs> Mind-blowing. Mm. Um, so then we also but have... It's very Italian. I mean, this is... Mm. Because I mean, I think of this as Italian in terms of copper as generally being mainly produced in Italy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a lot of our techniques and a lot of the the, the words that we use in charcuterie are are either French, Italian, and and Spanish. We are starting to get a bit of a culture of our own, and there are some some products like Bath chaps, for example, yes. that are very much. <laughs> British products, but you know we're still borrowing a lot from from the continent because they've made great charcuterie for a long time. Yeah. And we should celebrate that as well. So I've now picked another, up another one which appears to have no fat in it whatsoever. Yeah, so this is Bressola. This is beef. beef yeah. It's a silver side of beef. It's produced in the famous charcuterie region of Islington. Um, by, um, <laughs> soon to you, be Ollie. soon to be famous charcuterie producing region. Listen, we've got a lot going down in Islington. Yeah, <laughs> we have Zar. We have hummus. You know, I mean, it's the epicenter. That's all we all we do, really. We all sort of go and make charcuterie. In the mm. Did you know it was charcuterie was being produced? I did know there was. It, yeah. It's yeah. It's it, he knows everybody. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a, a, a lovely uh, four friends um, who are called Cobble Lane Cured, who are young um, butchers. They used to work with Jamie Oliver at Berbacoa, and um, they have be they've sort of gone off and set up this this brilliant charcuterie, urban charcuterie. They're bringing the the meat down from from up in Yorkshire largely, um, and the, I think their skills are fantastic. It's very soft. It should melt in the mouth. You get some nice herbs. I mean, I've had well. some Brasola, which is pretty dreadful supermarket stuff i have to say sorry it's generally awful and and you you don't buy it again because it's so tough yeah this is this mm. is lovely do you think it's lovely mm. you're gonna laugh by this but I, you, you always love the fact that you think i have every piece of kit you too though i do and i did actually buy my wife a salami slicer a few years ago because she always said oh you know you never That's you never you know, whenever we go to um so we says brawn which is for me yeah. is a great restaurant um broadway market Boy market, I didn't mean, no, Columbia Road. And um, we would go there. I'm like, why would you just buy charcuterie? We can buy it at home and slice it. She goes, We never do. Terrible thing to say. What does she get next Christmas? <laughs> meat slicer. Was it an electric, full electric meat? Full, do you know what? I bought it for 30 quid online. Okay. And you know work? what? Yeah, it does. No, it does. It's worked for for three or four years now. But what's great is you then buy a piece of salami. Where do you put these things? We just hide them. We're redesigning our kitchen at the you moment. Must have, you must live in a massive palace. It must yeah, be we huge. Just, we just hide things in all sorts of places. Mm. Can't get in. Can we carry on? Um, Absolutely, yes. So, so once, once you've taken out of the animal all those beautiful prime cuts that you will usually dry cure, so you'll pack it with salt and that will... Um, then start the process of drawing the moisture out of the protein. With the rest of the pig, and there's quite a lot of pig left, after you've taken out those prime cuts and prime muscles, you're going to make a lot of sausage. And sausage is where everything else is used up. So you can see in these salamis there's quite a high content of fat. This is usually back fat. In this country, we have a bit of a funny idea about fat because we think it makes us fat. But this isn't the kind of fat that makes you fat. This is the kind of fat that just makes you happy. It's silky. It will melt in your mouth. It binds the flavours and it binds the textures together. That's gorgeous. Now, you actually are pretty much a vegetarian, aren't you? 
no. I'm. You, but you you enjoy a lot stuff. of vegetarian. You yeah. just eaten that. You think that's Very stunning, happily, don't you? Yeah. And for me as well, I don't eat a huge amount of meat. Oh, that's what you should. Yeah. That's why you should eat meat. It's because it's, you don't have it often, but when you have it, it's amazing quality. Yeah. Animal welfare is really important, and can you taste that? It's great. Mm, it's incredible, and I think so long as you're careful about where the meat products you're you're buying are coming from. I like Sean's a very trusted, you know, knowledgeable source of good of good quality charcuterie. So I know that I'm in safe hands, but when it comes to supermarket charcuterie and stuff, I'm just not going to be tempted. I don't know where it, I don't even know where it comes from. Often. With a su- supermarket, supermarket no. Yeah. It's just not appealing. No. I think as well there's there's a lot of debate around how much meat we're consuming and it's a very interesting debate i am fully of the belief and i am a committed carnivore but i'm of the belief that we should eat meat that's really high quality and less often not so much of it you know mm. we don't need a bacon sandwich every day for example um so you know with with charcuterie it's filling and it gives you a, a lot of flavor so you get a lot of bang for your buck these salamis are fantastic which Amazing. ones what's that one there so we've got three here we've got a, a wild mushroom and truffle salami which oh, is nice. made by um, an organization called moons green in kent my old friend john doig um, then we have treely farm who uh, james swift Another one of the great absolute godfathers farm. of british <clears throat> charcuterie brilliantly knowledgeable <coughs> farmer and producer and he's producing wild boar salami in in monmouthshire and then finally a product that we've had <coughs> right from the beginning um which is made up in Invernessshire by um great glen charcuterie and it's a hundred percent wild red deer um so they they it's, there's no farmed animal in there even the fat so in that there texture's is interesting isn't it yeah it's it's very different mm. it's a bit of a marmite okay. product to that one um but it has that light smoke on it they're du- a dutch couple who make it so there's that sort of northern european style to it um but yeah very interesting product very much speaks of the the regionality which is something we we love this is superb isn't it Ollie? so i mean yes for those people who are on the radio you know not not in this studio um, where where are you getting these things? I, mean, I know I buy it from Turner and George, which is my favourite mm. butcher. Yeah, so obviously we're around about London with our various farmers markets, and you can always buy it online from canoncanon.com. Um, but we are, as of next month, taking over all of the, the British charcuterie in Harrods, which is extremely exciting. So, um, why did you mention <laughs> that? that? That is, why did you that say is that such word? good that's, news. That's yeah. such good news because Sue shops why at Harrods. She, she does her weekly shop she there. Does, she so, does. Yeah. They have well, amazing the milk there. I can't believe you said that, Sean. You've really, really <laughs> hanged me off. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're excited about my, that. We're also in lots of the, the sort of um, cool sort of indie, indie um, fine food shops like Eat 17 um, and Source Market and Paxton and Whitfield. You know, often if, if, if there's a local food shop that's doing really interesting um interesting farm-based foods you know we, you might be be lucky enough to find us in there get it online though can't you you can get yeah. it online. but it's interesting because i don't think you see i mean in the in the farm and deli world that much of this kind of stuff yet i mean i, you know, the, I was at suffolk food halls the other mm. day and actually they had great meat selection and great fish selection and, and a fair number of cheeses but actually you know you're not seeing the charcuterie there as much as, no. as i thought you would no i agree and i think it's something that um it's so synonymous with fine food I would say, you know, you have a charcuterie board in the same way as you'd have a cheese board. But I don't know whether independent retailers aren't sure what how to care for, you know, cheese, they kind of, there's a lot of advice out there. And training, isn't there? And training. Yeah. I wonder whether maybe that's not there for charcuterie yet. So they're still a bit nervous about stocking it. 
perhaps? I, th- I think that's true. I think there's there's a bit of a cultural gap in in the UK. You know, I, I remember going visiting a small shop in in a Spanish um, village and kind of going through the like mini mart, and there was like nobody in there at all. It was completely deserted. And then kind of walking through, and you get to the back of it, and there's the meat counter. They have got three slicers whirring away. It's about four deep with people shouting out what they want. I just, you know, I was almost brought to tears. I was like, this is the future, <laughs> um, you know. So at the moment, we, you know, it's happening, but these things take time. I think there's also a price point issue as yeah. well. You know, retail is really, really challenging to make sure that you're getting value to your customer at the moment you know we don't have the economies of scale in British charcuterie it's something I'm working really really hard on to get that infrastructure in place to get those producers supported so that they can produce the product without lots and lots of cost um, part of our um, crowdfunding campaign that we're we're uh, we're on CrowdCube at the moment, raising money to try and get some machinery in place that will help to slice and pack products really easily for our supplier base, which will bring the costs down and give a better value proposition for customers. And I know so you're you trying aren't to producing any so Sorry. yourself. You guys aren't producing any yourself. It's for you. You are a sourcing company that are out there seeking the best of the best and bring them together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we work really closely with our producers, um, but they are the geniuses who come up with the recipes. What we do is make sure there's a market for them, make sure that they are encouraged to keep coming up with new ideas, to keep producing and to keep the uh, and to keep British charcuterie sort of in the national conversation. You're also helping to organise the British Cured Meat Festival. Yes. Which is right. good because we need... That's what you're saying. You're helping them to get profile, aren't you, and get publicity? Yeah, exactly. So um, our, our job really is to is to fly the, fly the flag and to promote the work of our of our producers. So we have the British Cured Meat Awards, which started last year. It's the second year of well, that. That sounds season. a good one, Ollie. Mm, you do cheese awards. You do British Cured Meat Awards as well. Well. Come along and eat some, I think. We'd be. We are looking for new judges, Ollie. So you very know, good. I'll, I'll, I'll drop you a line. Maybe you could <laughs> come along. And yourself, of course, yes. You can all come. You can all come. It'd be wonderful. Um, yeah, so, so we had... special best charcuterie available in Harrods, Cafe. <laughs> I'm going to kill you off this programme. <laughs> and then at the end of the awards, we, we announce all the winners at the British Cured Meat Festival, yeah, which is happening right near to here, actually, in, in just off Granary Square in, in King's Cross. On the 1st of June, there are a few early bird tickets left. Oh. Um, we think they are going quite quickly. Um, but yeah, so they're available now if people are interested to come along on the day. Good, good. I so, think this is really exciting because, you know, we, we last week we were talking about pies, we were talking about, you know, a reinvention and discovery of, of, of something that is very British and is really interesting. This isn't something that's, you know, you know, this is us sort of using quality produce and, and quality technique to actually create something here. I think I, I think this is really exciting that we're, we're making this. It's that, that charcuterie is an amazing standard mm. as well. Absolutely beautiful. Now I've eaten all that salt, I'm feeling a little bit thirsty. Are you feeling thirsty? Water? Mm. Um, well, I thought I might um, uh, get some advice from Tallulah, actually. How can I help? So, Tallulah, yes. So, I'm having a problem at the moment. Okay. In that, you know, I've got gin at mm-hmm. home, and I've got, you know, I've got a bit of rum, got yep. whiskey. And there are now such a prolif- I can't even say it, proliferation of mixers... I'm really struggling to work out what I should have with what. So I might get a gin that's got a little bit of, you know, slightly orangey sort of botanicals in it. I've then got now 58 choices of mixer. And I don't know which, you know, it's quite hard to get that balance right. Yeah. Um, So what's really interesting with Seckford is that you've decided to take all that problem away. 
Yes, the, yes, I have indeed, and it was so. Yeah. If I if I now have a gin, mm-hmm. you've you've come up with a mixer which isn't a tonic exactly because there's it's more to it than that, isn't there? You've really worked out what would bring out the most amazing flavour in a gin. Yes, I can, yes, I have indeed. I hope I have anyway. Um, but I can give you a bit of the background to kind Please of how do. this started because there is kind of a story behind all of this in terms of why there is this world first that now exists, uh, and it started with whiskey actually. Whiskey. Okay. It started with whiskey. So I was a um, massive whiskey drinker. Uh, I grew up drinking whiskey. My mum is American, so I grew up with bourbon and rye. And I loved the taste of it. Uh, and I still love the taste of it. And I used to sip it neat. And I just reached a point where I would get frustrated because if I went to the pub or if I was at home and I wanted to be drinking that when my friends were having a glass of wine or a beer or a refreshing kind of gin and tonic, I was either sipping it neat so I could taste the spirit or I was combining it with cola or ginger which are delicious but they weren't designed for mixing mm-hmm. and they tended to overpower it or be reasonably sugary and I felt like I didn't know what I was actually drinking through that so I just started in the kitchen on Seckford Street with the kind of trusty soda stream originally uh, and created the whiskey mixer thinking about how strongly flavoured would it be how much sugar would it have in it what flavours would it have um, yeah and that one is based around Sicilian orange rosemary and gentian bitters um, yeah, so we so can... should we have a you you like a bit of an old fashioned, don't you? <coughs> I do you, you've got you've taken me on a Negroni journey as well. Are you, are you getting into uh, that I'm now? Still, I'm still, I'm still I served them again the other week. So um, Sharon, you need some instructions here. So what should Sharon be doing? She's she's got a oh, she got a whiskey. Have, uh, so the whiskey is the one that's next to the orange bottle and the one at the back. Ah, excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting some ice. Some in. ice. Thank you very much for doing this, by the way. Well, that's no trouble. We we love all this. Um, and here goes your... So the Seckford bottles are generally what sort of size? So it's available in 200ml and in 500ml, depending on kind of... Not too much, Sharon. I want to taste the whiskey, love. Well, we can put the big bottle on the table and then people can always add more if they want If they want a yeah. bit more. Yeah. Um, you'll have to drink that. We probably need a straw each. We have got some trusty biodegradable oh. straws for everybody. Do that. So, so what you've done then is is this is a, just a normal whiskey, and then you you've you've created, in a way, a sort of botanical mixer that brings out the best in this. Field. Yeah, so botanical mixer is exactly kind of the right term for it. So it is all natural. There's no artificial sweetener in it. Um, it's all created kind of using really high grade natural extracts, uh, a little bit of sugar, and then sparkling water. Um, so yeah, we can grab some more ice if you guys want it. Want it more chilled down, but feel free to. And is the so the mixer is designed for just for whiskey or for a particular whiskey? For whiskey. So when I created it, I did actually kind of test it against about forty different whiskies. So kind of uh, yeah, blended scotches, bourbons, rye, trying to get something that would work across the board spectrum. And I think the reason it does tend to work with all of them is that it is very delicately flavoured. So it is designed as a partner versus a standalone soft drink. Um, so it does let the flavours of the whiskey come through. So mm. if you have a particular favourite, you can taste that through it because, which people really because like. I don't often know what to mix with whiskey so you end up just having ice and water that, that's nice I think it's if you really want a long drink that's whiskey no, I, I agree because I, I drink whiskey as well yeah. and I generally drink it neat because mm. um, that's I, I, I sort of always on the camp which goes mixing whisk, cutting whiskey is sort of wrong somehow um, no it's not I know no, I know I know I know I know it's not but I mean it's like but you're brought up to believe <clears> that aren't you yeah. but I, 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 I suppose I learned to drink whiskey in America and I would drink it you know, from small glasses with a bit of ice, you know, in bad mm. bars in New York. Um, yeah. I haven't, I haven't made the journey yet. No. Um, so so what would you have next? We're finding that rum, I think from your research, Ollie, is, is surprisingly popular. Yeah, it's a big old drink. 
Yeah, rum is phenomenal and it is growing brilliantly. Uh, and it's such a diverse category. It's absolutely incredible. But one of the reasons why I don't have rum if I go out is because I just don't want Coke, thanks. So rum and Coke for me is awful. Have you actually made a mixer to go with rum? Yeah, we have indeed. Oh. And I think where that started was that if you so like rum and Coke, we do indeed, we have all of them here. Sharon, the whole, do us uh, the rum whole fun and do games. Do us the rum and something. Uh, that's the green one. So I'm now just there pulling out go. the colour so You had those lovely people, do you remember, from Burning Barn? Yeah. They were nice. great. It was a great rum. And it was... Mm. Yeah, they're they lovely. They're really, really, I mean, amazing, um, amazing drink. Mm. The smoked rum. The smoked rum was really something. Yeah. They do too. They're, yeah, they're brilliant. <clears throat> yeah. So, so now, and this is a white rum that you've got. I presume you could have it with a dark rum. You can indeed. Uh, so kind of light and spiced rums is what I worked around, particularly yeah. with this. Um, so it's with the light rum today. So this mixture is based around lime, mint, rose, and then cacao. Ooh. So the idea being that if you do like a rum and coke, that's you've got that. So this is more about letting the kind of lighter rums come through, the fresher kind of flavours. Say something, Ollie. It's really interesting. It, I mean, it's you, what you say about letting the spirit come through is so true because hmm. so, I mean, you really wow, that's different than it's really different, really different rum, yeah. But you get the I rum, and the you rum. get you taste the yeah. rum, and that's what's really interesting. Which and look, maybe I'm mixing wrong. Um, now, that's a completely different drink for me, yeah. which I would really go for because r- that does bring out rum quite nicely. It does, doesn't it? Well, so these are doubles, and like with any mixing, you can always like tailor it to your taste. So <laughs> some people only want a dash of mixer, some people like a very kind mm. of long drink. So there's kind of that freedom for people to work work to what works for them. Sean, do you like any of those so far? I, I love it. I mean, I'm a huge um, fan of, of whiskey, and, and I share Ollie's views about finding it difficult to, to cut it with anything but a few drops of water. But with that, with the first one we had there, you know, th- there was enough bitterness, there was a little bit of sweetness, but then it finished with the whiskey and you were left with the complexity of the of the whiskey and all of those flavours. And that's just finished with the rum as well. I mean, you, you could easily have that really chilled in the garden at lunchtime if we ever do get a summer. Fingers as opposed to... <laughs> yeah, which On I would Tuesday. never dream of. I would never dream of doing that, you, you know... Um, Whereas you could with that, because it'd be a really nice long drink. Yeah, you do, and you really feel like you are drinking the spirit, drink. you know, yeah. um, rather than getting a lot of sugar. Mm. But it's so true. You, you you sort of think of rum and coke as being like Malibu and coke, isn't it? It's like it's horrible. No, of course it is, and it, it, yeah. it's sort of those drinks that sort of is a sort of, you know, just sweet, sickly, and and not really of any interest. That's nice. That's made me go a little bit hot. Ah, yes. <laughs> we could dream. Can we have, what have we got next? Well, so <laughs> next we can... Uh, Shut up, Sean. Where do you guys want to go? Do you want to go to kind of Mezcal land? Or we oh, can do, uh, all his favourite. Ah, okay. Well, no, this has been a really interesting one. He that's loves the that blue one With the pear in it. So I um, basically fell in love with kind of Mezcal over the course of how kind and supportive many bars have been when I launched this. Um, and they kind of introduced me to Mezcal. So... Kind of the most recent one I created was the one for tequila and mezcal. And again, looking at, you've got some really kind of brilliant citrus-led cocktails around tequila. Uh, And then I thought, why not go the opposite way? So this has roasted prickly pear, fig, and then cardamom. Um, Roasted prickly pear, fig. Yeah. So this is, I I love, yeah, I'm a humongous mezcal fan. Remember you bought that mezcal for me to taste because you said that I should have it and it was a surprise. Was it mezcal? No, no, no. What was that? It was arak. Arak, that's right. The great Sri Lankan arak. Yeah. You're still recovering. That's got a great smell. Yeah. Really great smell. I, I think to be fair, we've been given doubles with like a hint of... <laughs> yes, I, I will be honest, that is not a lot of mixer in some Can of these. we just put more mixer so, yeah, if you in? Guys Sorry. Want... That's my fault, Sharon. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Sharon, Sharon's trying to finish us off today. <laughs> She's had enough of us. Yeah, she sure. we've, we've been causing all sorts of havoc in here today. She's like, let's just So much hassle. More. She's trying to get us back. Um... 
But yeah, this was again really about finding a way that people could enjoy kind of a refreshing mezcal drink or tequila drink at the start of the day when everyone else is on the gin and tonics or the wine or the beer. Get the fig there. Yeah. Wow, that's got an incredibly aromatic <clears throat> sp- spice flavour, really. Again, I think what's really interesting is that I would not drink... I mean, look, I enjoy mezcal and I enjoyed drinking it when I was in I Mexico. I thought that was your favourite story, it's Arak. No, Arak. But, um... Wow. But that's really, really interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's... That, that really... You, you get that... You really do get the mezcal. I mean, it's because part of your shower is like killers. But, but it's also... Um, what do you think of that, Sean? You're you're pondering. You're not sure either, are you? It's really interesting. I I, I do. I am partial to the old tequila slammer now and again. Um, really well. <laughs> you, you take the boy out of Burgundy. <laughs> yeah, no, certain occasions, but um, and so I don't know. What's really interesting about that is it it really brings out the complexity of the of the tequila flavors. You call it tequila? I know it's tequila. I know so this was the mezcal, but yeah, we also use this for tequilas. Right. Yeah, you so, can let okay. them. Yeah. So and and that's kind of and it's quite complex. Yeah, it is. It's beautifully complex. And I think that was the whole thing I was trying to do is think about a partner for spirits versus something that basically takes the edge off so you're able to to drink more and, and you don't have to take the burn. So, yeah, I think that was what it really was about celebrating the flavours and the craftsmanship and the, the amazingness that goes into these spirits and letting people discover them. So a lot of people will say to me, oh, I really don't like whiskey. And then they'll try it like that and be like, well, actually, this is, I do like this. And it does taste of whiskey, but it's not having, yeah, I'm not sipping any alcohol. So it's been really interesting seeing how some people have come into spirits through this uh, or found new favourites that they previously had just ruled out. That's good with your charcuterie, that. Is it? Yeah, try it. It's like weird because you get that sort of, it is quite difficult to match charcuterie with drink because because it's so powerful in its taste and beautifully salty. And then if you have it with that, it's an interesting combination. I think wow. your, your your challenge of saying it's hard to match charcuterie and, and, and drinks, I think it's definitely something worth trying to do, though, isn't it? Because oh, yeah, both no, no, you should. And therefore... I mean, some people say you should have champagne with charcuterie, which Ooh. I find quite odd. No, but, but that, that is one thing that yeah, some people we did, say. We, we did a series of, um, of evenings where we paired charcuterie with every kind of spirit and beer and wine under the sun. For about a year, we did that a couple of times a month. And we actually did one with... Uh, with a mezcal producer, I can barely remember it, but I, I think we had an excellent time. I think, see, I think one of the things about mezcal is I remember going to see it made outside of Oaxaca. Yeah, and you know, you see them, you know, burning the um, the piñas. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and you really get, you know, when you drink that, you get the smokiness of the mezcal, and you, and actually, but it's lightened because mezcal can be sort of like yeah. a punch in the head. You know, even good ones. I mean, they're all quite, you know, they have a smokiness to them. Yeah. yeah. But there's also high high alcohol content. It's not exactly a quiet evening in. That actually opens it up to a to a different range. There's a there's a tacos place called El Pastor in in Borough Market. You know, yeah. Yeah. And they they have they have a small wine list and they have a a much bigger mezcal tequila list. You know, going up to sort of hundreds of pounds for for a glass. Never done that, I'm afraid. Mezcal tequila. You should do yeah, it's like really that. That tastes that's nice mm. with the mixer. I like I like that. Thank you. What's uh, what's um, Sharon preparing now? Well, I feel like I've now like sort of break it to you. So this the, the gin one basically came about because um, when I had done the other ones, a lot of people asked if I could look at something that wasn't a tonic. So the idea that the tonic always has quinine in it, and I felt like if you do like tonic, you're very well catered for. There are some beautiful tonics out there. 
So rather than doing a tonic, uh, I did a mix, what's classed as a mixer because it doesn't have that quinine in. So, and I went for the opposite end of the flavor spectrum. So thinking if you aren't a tonic fan, maybe you want something a bit different. So this is much more kind of fruity, floral, fresh. It's aromatic raspberry, rose and sage. Wow. Um, and then it also nice now has for gin and vodka on it because a lot of vodka drinkers felt like they were being left out when they were like, I want to, I want to be on this one as well. So yeah, it's much kind of, lighter, fresher, summery. People love it with pink gins as well. They are all natural and they are all low sugar as well, which people love. So they're really low in calories, but there's no artificial What I like about these is they're all uh, incredibly complex Mm. and you really can taste the spirit. I'm not a great fan of tonic, I have to say, because I do find the quinine, you know, a bit difficult. And I I also find them a bit too sparkly, um, actually a bit too bubbly. Yeah, the combinations. That's that's great. Mm. It reminds me, do you remember the, we had the lovely guy in from, was it Green something, who made that Raspberry Ghost? Um, he was, it was based, in, it was, I think it was a Suffolk brand, and they, they, did, they used, you know, disused or you know, not perfect <laughs> raspberries and stuff. It was a really, I remember before your I remember that one. Yeah. There, there was another alcohol-induced <laughs> spread. <Moldy> raspberries. <laughs> yeah. it's all we were all lying on the ground like that. <laughs> Um, but that reminds me, I, I really like the flavour of that. It's got a really interesting, mm. and, and as you say, it's totally different from a I tonic. like the flavour of all these. They, they feel incredibly grown up. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I think, yeah. I, I would say. I mean, you're great at taste, Sean, because, you know, it's your job and you have to taste these things. There's loads going on there, isn't there? There's loads going on. It's, it's really interesting. I was going to ask about with gin, there's, there's so many aromatics that go through different gins. Was it quite difficult to pick um, other aromatics that would always accompany Yes, I mean, yeah, it was. We did do a lot of uh, kind of a lot of experimentation, and then also looked at there are quite a few different flavored tonics. So looked at kind of what things they had covered and tried to kind of find where is there a space that people are not getting kind of anything that we can do something a bit different for them. Um, and then also kind of looked at yeah, pink gins. People love the kind of raspberry notes that you have in that, and felt like that reflected what you got in some of their favourite kind of pink or fruit-based gins. So, yeah, there was a lot of experimentation involved. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's helpful to say it or not, but one thing that has been fascinating is how, pe- how people use these mixers because people do use them as soft drinks as well and people do use them... I was going to say, because they're, they're, they're nice soft drinks. And, and what yeah. I really like is they're naturally low in sugar um, and they're under 40 calories a bottle, uh, but without the horrible artificial sweetener thing. So there's no artificial sweetener. No, I really didn't want to use that. And, and you can tell that as well, mm. actually. It's really nice. So... Um, well done. Thank Lula. you. A little Thank bit you. of a branching out slightly different, I think, yeah. Um, so if you're interested, uh, where can people find these Seckford um, mixers? So very excitingly, as of uh, this week, they're now available in Waitrose. Woo! Yep. There we go. Which they're is in amazing. Waitrose, so you've uh, and then Harvey Nichols and then a range of other brilliant well, stores have been supported. <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. <laughs> So, but could Sue buy them online? Were she not? If she can't find Thanks, them, yes, she can indeed. Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> so, Seckford is spelt S-E-K-F-O-R-D-E. Yes, it uh, is. Seckford drinks, um, and of course, we'll have a, a, a link from the website. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining us. That's Tallulah White Seckford drinks, and thanks ever so much, Sean, the, the, from Canon and Canon. It just reminded me how marvellous some of the British charcuterie is. Very fine and sophisticated. Really lovely. I have to say, the thing I'm excited about is that the idea that the awards you're doing um, actually going to try and tell some of those individual stories of who the people are and what what they're about because, you know, they're certainly not, you know, we're all in the world of food and I haven't come across as many of the characters as I have in the world of cheese. So I think it's really great that, you know, you're championing Mm. those guys and and letting their voice be heard. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard work. 
for those guys making charcuterie, and it's often quite lonely work. They don't have big teams, um, you know, so they spend a lot of time in their in their head kind of darkened rooms with their hanging meats, uh, not seeing a lot of the outside air and not seeing a lot of people. So for bring them all to London, we get them all out with their stalls, showing off their incredible wares, meeting all the sort of um, foodies who are coming along to the festival, and then they get up on stage and maybe they even win an award, and it's just oh, a brilliant great. day out and a it's real great party. It's really good. So if you're doing something um, groundbreaking or innovative in the charcuterie world or something um, that's very interesting in the drinks world like a Tallulah, you should be entering the Future Food Awards, shouldn't you, Holly? Indeed. And where can we enter the Future Food Awards? We can enter them on specialityfoodmagazine.com. That's it. Um, also, foodtalk.co.uk. And we're, we've had loads of lovely entries, but we're desperate to just try and find as many amazing people as we can and give them a platform. So um, we've got great people on the judging panel. And Ollie. <laughs> and Zolly Lloyd, apart from everybody else. Um, so really, you know, please do enter. It's free. We've deliberately made it free. So we sponsor it so you don't have to pay anything. Um, and we're trying to get a platform. So if you're doing something amazing, um, Tallulah, you should be entering. Yeah, I'd love to. I definitely will be now. <laughs> yeah. And any of your producers, they should be entering so we can try and, try and help them. Um, and if you win... Well, not even if you win, actually. Even if you're a finalist, uh, we, we, we profile people in your mm. lovely magazine, don't we? We do indeed. And uh, part of the prize is you get to be on the Food Talk Show. I mean, and meet us lot. Wow. <laughs> what can be better wow. than that? And, and, and if, you get really, if you get really lucky, you might be on a programme with someone like Tallulah who brings a whole lot of drinks <laughs> along or someone like Sean who brings some amazing meats. So, or last you know. week we had those those cream things that uh, from oh, the one Scandi that, that, Kitchen. That you got on yeah. your, on your, I did, yeah. oh. that you got on your nose. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, just <laughs> finishing off there. You've been, been listening, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show. Uh, we're on lots of different radio stations across the UK and further field. And you can also download our weekly podcast from iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, and the podcast app on your phone, as well as the wonderful Great British Chefs website. Thank you to my fellow presenters, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs and Holly Shackleton of Speciality Food Magazine. And thank you to Sharon for being our, our bar tender lady today. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Um, and and if you want to recommend any future guests, somebody doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, just like Tallulah or Sean, um, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And don't forget, we've got hundreds of podcasts that you can listen to on foodtalk.co.uk. I hope you have a good week. Bye. <laughs>